Awesome. Wow, it's my absolute joy to be bringing the Word of the Lord for us uh, this morning. And so why don't you go ahead, take your Bibles out, take your Bible apps out. We're going to go straight to the Scriptures. Um, I'm going to be sharing from Luke chapter 2, verse 4 to 15, and I'm reading from the NIV version. And here's what it says. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. God bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father, bless the word, sanctify it in our hearts. And God, I pray that it would resound in such a way that it outlasts this moment. God, we pray that uh, your word will become flesh, that we might carry it out of this place and share it in the way that we talk, in the way that we walk, in the way that we live our lives. We thank you, God, that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so we pray, God, bless the reading of your word this morning. May it be to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. How many, how many of us in the room love Christmas? Yeah, that's a lot of us, hey. That's so good, awesome. I never used to be that kind of person who used to love Christmas, but I absolutely love Christmas now. And I, I used to be one of those people who was a real Scrooge, you know, like the Grinch. And for the life of me, I could not understand or I couldn't stand the thought of going through all of this fuss going through so much hassle, taking out the tree, taking out the decorations, putting out them lights, doing all of this just to take it back down again. I couldn't stand the thought of going through, through so much effort and spending so much time putting things up only to bring them down. I mean, if you're gonna have the Christmas tree and the tinsel and the decorations and the lights, leave them up. You know what I mean? Let that thing shimmer all year long. Let those lights blink all year long. Uh, let the tree become a natural part of the interior decor of the house. But you see, more than just the commercialization of a particular day that we've set aside to acknowledge Jesus, I've grown to love Christmas and I just get so excited about what Christmas really means. To think that someone as holy as God wouldn't make legal entry into the world, respecting his own precedence and come and be born of a virgin, it's so exciting to know that eternity would touch time. It's exciting to know that the holy would become human. It's exciting to know that the word would become incarnate in flesh. I mean, God has once again reached out to man as he did in creation when he created man from the dust of the earth. When Jesus came, it was God reaching out again. 
reaching low so that we could be made high, reaching down so that we could come up. He took our sins so that we could take on his righteousness. It's incredible. And so Christmas ought to bring us great joy and excitement because it's a reminder of the fact that God was once again reaching out to humanity. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, born in a manger, born in the lowest of conditions, it was God once again reaching out to man. Today, I want to share a message that's titled, Let's Go to Bethlehem. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's go to Bethlehem. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, Bethlehem is quite an interesting place because whilst we see the power of God on display through the birth of Jesus, people in the Bible times didn't think much of Bethlehem. The world considered it to be a small city. The world looked at Bethlehem and thought it to be the least of the cities of Israel. Bethlehem is a farming area with grain fields and sheep and goats grazed the the hillsides. It is located on the edge of the Judean desert and uh, that lies in the southeast. Many scholars of the Bible say that if you were to go to Bethlehem today, it's still a small little village on the side of the same old hill. It's got the same old tiny streets. Bethlehem was considered insignificant. And as you start to look at Bethlehem, into Bethlehem, you start to ask questions like, God, are you sure, Bethlehem? Are you sure? Uh, Of all the places in the world that you could make your entry into the world, Bethlehem, a place that's mainly full of grain fields. I mean, Bethlehem has a pretty drastic history if you look at Scripture. Number one, it was taken over in 2 Samuel 23, verse 14. We read that Bethlehem had been taken over by the garrison of the Philistines. It was during a time when King David was on the run. He was running from those who were seeking after him and wanting to find him and kill him. And so while he was holed up in a cave, the Philistines had their base camp in Bethlehem. It's there where David says, how I wish someone would give me some water from the cistern in Bethlehem near the gate. And so three of the elite warriors of David's men went out of their way to get this water from the place that had been taken over by enemy troops. They bring back this water to David and instead of drink it, he pours it out as an offering to God. In the story, we see that Bethlehem has been touched by what it means to be unsafe territory. We see Bethlehem as this place that is easily taken over by opposition. It's got a history of being known as a place that was occupied by the enemy. Secondly, famine. In Ruth chapter one, the opening line of that story tells us about a famine. And here's the thing, the famine is in Bethlehem. And the most ironic thing about having a famine in Bethlehem is the fact that Bethlehem means house of bread or house of food. Beit, uh, the, the Hebrew word Beit is house, Lechem is bread, and together Bethlehem is house of bread. How can you be a city that's called house of bread and yet go through a famine? Because the first chapter of Ruth tells us that a man who is from Bethlehem, the house of bread, has had to pack up his wife and two kids and go to live in a place called Moab. Moab means of his father. Moab was birthed out of an incestuous encounter by a man named Lot and two of his daughters. The famine has hit Bethlehem so hard that it's driving its people out into pagan territory. What do you do when it feels like the place that God has called you to is going through a famine? 
What do you do when it feels like the job that God gave you has no longer got the resources to keep you? What do you do when you step out in faith and you obey the voice of the Lord and you start to run out of the resources that you thought God was supposed to give you to fulfill the call that He's called you to? What do you do when you've stepped out into unknown territory and suddenly heaven's gone quiet on you? You see, Bethlehem has got history as a city that's been touched by famine. It's been touched by desertedness. It's been touched by the deafening sound of silence as people leave their homes and jobs and search for a better life. The third thing that we see in that scripture tells us about Bethlehem is that it was touched by death. The first time that Bethlehem is even mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 35, 16 to 19. Here's what it says. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when, they, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrathah, that's Bethlehem in the Old Testament, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had heard, uh, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have the son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Epithra, that is Bethlehem. So in other words, the first time that we ever hear about Bethlehem, Bethlehem being mentioned in the Bible is when Rachel is on her way there and she dies giving birth to her son. Can you imagine the grief of her husband and the grief that he would have felt to be this close to Bethlehem, the house of bread, to come so close to reaching the place that is called house of bread and yet experience loss. How can you come so close to reaching this place that speaks to provision and experience loss on the way? Have you ever experienced loss in the place that you thought was meant to be the place of provision for you? Have you ever been touched by what it means to lose everything in the place that you left everything to have? Have you experienced what it was like to come so close to finishing the race, come so close to completing the degree, come so close to celebrating a birthday, a wedding, come so close to getting the job and suddenly experience loss? Suddenly you don't get the job. Suddenly your circumstances change and you can't complete your degree. You're days away from a loved one's wedding, but you receive a phone call to say that you've lost another loved one. You see, just because God has called you doesn't mean that you are exempt from loss. Just because we are saved, have received salvation and have made Jesus the Lord of our lives, it don't mean that we are exempt from the hardships and the going throughs of life. Just because you've been anointed for something, it don't mean that you are exempt from loss. Bethlehem has a history of being touched by loss. Bethlehem is known to be a place where people have experienced loss on their way there. People have lost their lives on their way to Bethlehem. You see, what we find is that Bethlehem isn't just insignificant to, in, in the eyes of man. It's a city whose history claims to be a city that was taken over by enemy troops, a city that has been touched by famine, a city that's been touched by loss, and yet God, knowing full well how insignificant the city is, the history of the city, how low the city would have been experiencing all of these different things. And yet he chooses 
Bethlehem as the place for Jesus to be born. Micah 5 verse 2 says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. You know, we can look at that text and get to shouting and screaming and praising God because we know that God had chosen the little city of Bethlehem to get uh, to be the birthplace of Jesus. And we look at that text from the standpoint of heaven and we see the power of God. We see the inexhaustibility of the wisdom of God. We see the strength of God. We are, from a divine perspective, we see the power of God. But from a human perspective, we don't see none of that. From the human perspective, we see a man and a woman who are going up to Nazareth, uh, who are going up from Nazareth into Bethlehem. They live in Nazareth, but have to travel 112 kilometers to get to Bethlehem. From Auckland to Hamilton, it's about 120 kilometers. So can you imagine Mary being eight and a half months pregnant and she's having to travel all that way to Bethlehem? I mean, they didn't even have planes then. They didn't have trains. They didn't have cars. All we know is that they probably traveled on a donkey. Not only is Mary having to travel all of that distance, she's probably having to do it in the heat. Oftentimes when we look at Christmas uh, decorations, we see snow and we see this idea of winter. But in the Near East, Mary and Joseph probably had to do this journey in the heat. Mary is having to ride through the hot Palestinian heat to get to the place where they need to register. From the human perspective, we see a man and a woman who probably feel like things are going horribly wrong. For Joseph, Nazareth was bad enough, but now he's having to go to Bethlehem. Life isn't the way that they saw it happening. He's engaged to this great girl, but now she's pregnant. And the thing is, he's not the father, but now she's saying that God did it, awkward, and even better, they have to go back to his hometown. I bet the last thing that Joseph wanted to do was go to his hometown and see people, you know, because they know what's happened. Imagine running into the people and they're like, yo, Joseph, long time no see, what are you up to? And he's like, I'm on my way to Bethlehem. First of all, they would have been like, mm-mm, not, not a great call. Second of all, they, they would have been like, oh, why are you moving there? For him to say, well, my girlfriend, girlfriend is pregnant and it's not mine. Like, imagine the people saying to him, wow, that's weird. Ladies, you know, and how do you come to terms with that? But from the human perspective, we see a man and a woman who can't lean on nothing to get no help for what they're going through. This whole situation is unorthodox. They've got no point of reference for what they're going through. And so they can't even lean on religion. They can't lean on their rabbi. They can't even lean on their community of faith to get the help that they need for what they're going through. You can't see no splendor in Bethlehem. You can't see no glory in Bethlehem. You can't see nothing great in Bethlehem. Why would God leave the splendor of heaven and choose to come to us and dwell amongst us and of all places, Bethlehem? Why didn't he come to Paris, the city of love? Why didn't he come on down to Amsterdam or New York? You see, the Son of God, came not into this world riding on a Ferrari. He came not into this world wrapped up in Versace and Louis Vuitton. The splendor of the coming of the king was not in the baby cot where he lay. It wasn't in the furniture. It wasn't in the brand of the sheets that he was wrapped in. It wasn't in the stuff. It wasn't in the natural things. It was in the divine things. Yes. It wasn't in the tangible things. It was in the intangible. And let me break that down for you some more. It doesn't matter how big of a house I have. What matters is that it feels like a home. 
It doesn't matter how much I paid for the bed. It matters that I get a good night's sleep. It doesn't matter how many security guards I've got watching over my house. It matters that I feel safe. It doesn't matter that I can afford to eat a fancy dinner at a fancy restaurant. What matters is who I'm eating it with. The splendor of the coming of the king wasn't in the stuff. It was in that which was eternal and divine and intangible. The glory of his coming wasn't in the stuff. And so he came to redeem us from sin and death. He came to set us free. He came to deliver us from the curse of the law. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. He came to fight back the forces of darknesses that we, that we could never have been able to fight on our own. But can I also suggest to you that perhaps he also came and came to Bethlehem to understand what it was like to be you. Perhaps he came so that he would know what temptation was, what tired was, what sleep was, what lonely was. Perhaps he came to Bethlehem so that he could be touched by what it meant to be you. Hebrews 2 verse 17 to 18 says this, Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You see, Jesus coming to Bethlehem is symbolic of the fact that he came all the way to where you are. He came down through 40 and two generations, stepping down the corridors of time, down to Bethlehem, down to a manger. He came all the way to where you are. It's no wonder the shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem. They wanted to see this great thing that God had told them about. The angel said, today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, they're announcing the coming of the king to where they are. You see, he couldn't redeem me from heaven. He couldn't redeem me surrounded by the royal diadem. He couldn't redeem me sitting on the throne before the crystal glass. He couldn't redeem me surrounded by Michael and Gabriel, but the Savior was willing to redeem me so much so that he came to where I was and he stepped down into humanity. And while he walked the earth, he said, since I'm here, I might as well go on ahead and get despised on your, on your behalf. Since I'm here, I might as well go on ahead and carry the transgressions, the wounds for your transgressions. While I'm here, I'm going to go on ahead and carry the bruises for your iniquities. While I'm here, I'm going to go on ahead and carry the chastisement for your peace. While I'm here, I'm going to go on ahead and take these stripes so that you could be healed. Let me carry that for you so that you don't have to carry it no more. He said, I'll carry your grief. I'll carry your sorrow. I'll carry your pain. I'll carry your rejection. I'll carry your fear, your loss, your anxiety, the splendor of his coming wasn't in the stuff. It's in the abstract things that your mind cannot comprehend. And so because of that, I care that he loved me enough to come right on down to where I was. I care that when fear had me bound, when depression had me bound, when anxiety had me bound, when sin had me bound, I care 
that he loved me enough to come right down to where I was and sit with me and feel my pain and be touched by the feeling of my infirmity. Finally, someone who understands my pain. Finally, someone who knows what it's like to walk a mile in my shoes. Finally, someone who knows how I really feel. Finally, someone who understands what I didn't get in life. Finally, someone who understands what my upbringing was like. Finally, someone who understands why I'm afraid, why I'm angry sometimes, why I'm worried, why I'm anxious. Finally, someone who understands me. When I look to my family and friends and those around me, and when you choose not to hang out with me no more, when you choose to walk away from me, when you choose to ignore me, when you choose to limit me and isolate me, when I come to you for counsel in my hour of greatest need during the lowest moments of my life and you don't get me and you don't understand me, when I come to you and you don't get it, I can go to the rock that's higher than I. Some call him the Nazarene, some call him the rabbi, some call him the miracle worker, but I call him Jesus the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the lover of my soul, the ancient of days, the forgiver of sins. If I can ask the keys to join me. This Christmas, if you find yourself in a place that looks a lot like Bethlehem, a place where you are being touched by grief, you are being touched by loss, you are being touched by famine, you are being touched by temptation, you are being touched by the results of the decisions of your past, here's one thing I wanna leave with you. Expect to meet God there. Expect to meet God there. Expect to meet him there because he's the God who doesn't just see what you're going through. He doesn't just know what you're going through. He's been touched by what it means to be you. If you wanna know what that looks like, look to the cross. He will tell you all about the pain he suffered. He will tell you all about that he had to endure. Nobody knows what it's like to walk through pain like Jesus no one knows what it's like to have your friends and family walk away from you like Jesus. Nobody knows what it's like to have heaven go silent on you like Jesus. Jesus knows that which you go through. He does. And all of the days of your life will never be the same because the Savior came to Bethlehem. He came all the way to where you are. And because he did, you can stand tall and say, let's go to Bethlehem. <laughs> you can look fear in the face. You can look grief in the face. You can look cancer in the face. You can look death in the face and say, this may be Bethlehem, but I'm not alone. Because even in Bethlehem, this insignificant city, touched by famine, touched by loss, you can expect to meet God there. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. If you're here and you don't know what it, what it means to give your heart to Jesus. We don't, we don't like closing our services without giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here and you're far away from God or maybe you're here and you, you were walking with God, but because of circumstances in life, you walked away from him. I wanna give you this opportunity to say yes to Jesus. You need to know today that God loves you. The God who created this world loves you. He created you to know him and he created you to come into loving fellowship with him. But there's this thing that keeps us disconnected from God. It's become a barrier between us and God. That thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. And you know, the Bible says that the consequence of sin is death. But you know what, my friend? It didn't end there. 
because God in his grace, he sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay the penalty for sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself what you and I deserved for sin. But it didn't end there because on the third day, Jesus rose again. He conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered hell and the grave. And you know what? Right now, God is extending to you his grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with him in heaven. And so we must turn away from sin, turn our back on sin, and turn to Jesus, put our faith in Jesus, put our trust in Jesus, put our hope in Jesus, believe in Jesus. The Bible says, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so if that's you and you're here today and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I want to make him the Lord of my life. I'm going to count to three and I want you to just raise your hand and you can put it down straight away. And you know what? You don't have to be shy. You don't have to be afraid. Nobody in this church was born holy. No one here was born perfect. We're all sinners who've been saved by grace.